Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Killam Apartment Real Estate Investment Trust Third Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on November 5th, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference over to Philip Frazier. Please go ahead. Hello, and thank you. I want to welcome you to Kilm Apartment Reef's Q3 2020 earning presentation. I am here today with Robert Richardson, Executive Vice President, Dale Noseworthy, Chief Financial Officer, Aaron Cleveland, Senior Vice President of Finance, and Nancy Alexander, Vice President of Investor Relations and Sustainability. Slides to accompany today's call are available on the Investor Relations section of our website under events and presentations. I will now ask Nancy to read our cautionary statement. Thanks, Bill. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements with respect to Kiln Apartment REIT and its operations, strategies, financial performance, conditions, and otherwise. The actual results and performance of Kiln discussed today could differ materially from those expressed or implied by such statements. Such statements are qualified in their entirety by the inherent risk and uncertainties surrounding forward-looking statements. For further information about the inherent risk and uncertainties in respect of forward-looking statements, please refer to Killam's most recent annual information form and other securities regulatory filings found online on CDAR. Unless otherwise stated, all forward-looking statements made today speak only as of today's date. Killam has no obligation to update such statements unless required under applicable securities laws. Unless otherwise stated, all forward-looking statements speak only as of the date of which this presentation refers, and the parties have no obligation to update such statements. Thank you, Nancy. Before I start, I would like to take the opportunity to acknowledge the unexpected passing of Wayne Watson on September 28, 2020. Wayne was a founding board member investor of Killam and chair of our audit committee for 19 years. Wayne was a gentleman, an experienced and knowledgeable CPA, and most of all, a close friend to all of us here at Killam. Wayne will be missed. This morning, we are focused on our third quarter performance. Dale and Robert will take us through Killam's solid operating and financial results, but first, I want to start with a summary of our strategy. We find ourselves in a very different world today than even eight months ago, but Killam's long-term strategy remains unchanged. We are focused on increasing shareholder value by increasing funds from operations and net asset value. We will accomplish this by concentrating on our three key priorities. Number one, increasing earnings from the existing portfolio. Two, expanding the portfolio and diversifying geographically through accretive acquisitions with an emphasis on newer properties, and number three, developing high-quality properties in Killam's core markets. 
In a year where rental growth has been partially muted, our existing portfolio of 17,000 apartment units and 5,900 MHC sites is benefiting from the innovative ways we grow our top line revenue and manage our operating expenses. We continue to accelerate our suite renovation program, utilize data analytics across our organization, and invest in technologies to make our operating platform more energy efficient and greener. Our creative acquisitions have been the foundation of our growth, averaging 122 million over the past 19 years. We have targets to diversify our portfolio geographically and continue to look for additional assets in our three Ontario markets, as well as Calgary, Edmonton, and Victoria. Kellum's development activities is a key cornerstone in our long-term growth strategy. We have a proven record of building high-quality properties in our core markets over the last 10 years. We have approximately $250 million of development underway and expect to complete these projects in the next 24 months. Overall, this focused strategy continues to increase our earnings, produce a stronger balance sheet, and geographically diversify us across Canada. I will now hand it over to Dale to take us through our Q3 results. Thanks, Phil. Killam produced solid financial results in the third quarter. Despite challenges linked to the pandemic, we continued to increase earnings from our existing portfolio, advanced our acquisition and development pipelines, and strengthened our balance sheet with a $69 million equity raise. We ended the quarter with significant capital flexibility, including over $230 million in acquisition capacity. Slide four highlights our Q3 financial performance. We achieved net income of $37.1 million and earned funds from operations of $0.27 cents per unit in line with FFO per unit in Q3 last year. Positive same property NOI growth and interest expense savings were offset by short-term dilution from the timing of deployment of funds following the July equity raise. These funds will be fully invested by the end of November. Killam's debt metrics improved during Q3, including a 160 basis point reduction in debt to total assets to 43.8%. Same property NOI growth is one of our key performance metrics. Overall, same property NOI was up 0.4%. Killam's apartment portfolio portfolio achieved 1.1% growth. The strength from the apartment portfolio was offset by a reduction in NOI from the MHCs, specifically from our seasonal resort communities. Due to social distancing regulations, along with travel restrictions into Atlantic Canada, NOI from our seasonals was down 15.2% in the quarter. By contrast, NOI from our permanent MHCs was up 3.6%. The decline in the seasonals earnings was pandemic-specific and does not reflect a long-term decline in the earnings potential from these communities. Killam's revenue growth measures are charted on slide 5. Same property revenue increased 1% in Q3, including 1.8% growth in the apartment portfolio. Year over year, as at September 30th, the weighted average apartment rents were up 3.1%. Occupancy levels in Q3 dipped 70 basis points from Q3 last year. Although demand for rental units remained strong across the majority of the portfolio, we experienced an uptick in vacancy in most markets coming off record high occupancy levels in 2019. 
Hilton's incentive offerings have remained flat. We remain selective in the regions and properties where we are using incentive offerings. Revenue growth in Halifax and New Brunswick have stood out in 2020, including in Q3. Kiln monitors mark-to-market opportunities by region and assesses the relative strength of each market to adjust rents accordingly. Both these markets are showing continued strength and resiliency throughout the pandemic. In Halifax, we continue to see rents on unit turns that are, on average, 10% more than in-place rents. Although we saw a dip in the Halifax portfolio portfolio's occupancy last quarter, we're not seeing indications of declines in market rent. The decline in occupancy is at least partially attributable to many universities moving full online learning, resulting in student-concentrated buildings seeing less demand. New Brunswick also saw a modest uptick in vacancy in the quarter, but occupancy levels remain healthy at above 97%. Mark-to-market opportunities in these regions continue to be strong. Rents on unit turns achieved by Kilm's New Brunswick leasing team averaged 9% above in-place rents in Q3. This includes the success of our repositioning program in our New Brunswick markets. Overall, we're seeing stable to growing market rents across the majority of our portfolio. Operating expenses were up 2.3% in Q3, as illustrated on slide six. The main driver of this growth was a 5.1% increase in property taxes. We continue to appeal property tax assessments to minimize this rising cost. General operating costs were up 1.1%, as higher insurance premiums and increased compensation for frontline staff offset other savings. Utility and fuel costs were largely flat in Q3. I'm pleased to report that Kilm's Mortgage Renewal Program continues to progress on schedule with interest rate savings. The weighted average interest rate on CMHC-insured mortgages refinanced in Q3 was 1.38%. 105 basis points lower than the weighted average rate on the maturing debt. Slide 7 highlights our debt maturity profile, including average apartment mortgage rates by year versus prevailing CMHC insured mortgage rates. Looking forward, we have $143 million in mortgages maturing in 2021, and we expect to upfinance approximately $50 million on these renewals, and based on today's rates, reduce our weighted average interest rate. We're focused on strengthening our balance sheet, and as noted already, we were successful in doing so in Q3, as shown on slide 8. We ended the quarter with investment properties valued at $3.6 billion. This includes a $15 million fair value gain in Q3, reflecting the rental rate growth we're achieving on the apartment portfolio. I will now turn the call over to Robert, who will provide color on key revenue initiatives and value delivery to our residents. Thank you, Dale, and good morning, everyone. Before commenting on Kilm's financial and operating initiatives, I want to first thank Kilm's 700 employees that continue to work that continue to work with tremendous communal spirit and poise during this unprecedented pandemic year. Our employees each day deliver safe and well-managed housing to both apartment and MHC tenants, as well as to the many businesses in our commercial portfolio. I would further highlight the outstanding commitment and care our frontline staff have extended to Killam's residents and stakeholders these past eight months. Approximately two-thirds of our employees and residents call Atlantic Canada home. Due to the 14-day quarantine mandated for anyone entering the Atlantic, Atlantic Canadian bubble, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, and Newfoundland have, to date, been able to avoid the second COVID-19 wave 
that is unfortunately disrupting many communities and cities across Canada. Nevertheless, Kiln is acutely aware of the demanding operating conditions in our Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia markets as the number of COVID-19 cases continues to rise. In these regions, Kiln remains focused on the health and safety of Kiln's resident families and stakeholders, remaining diligent in its cleaning and physical distancing protocols, doing our part to keep the active virus caseload numbers low. Despite COVID-19, rent collection has remained very strong for Kiln throughout 2020. As shown on slide 9, Kiln collected 99.7% of all rents in the third quarter. To date in October, we have collected 98.6% of apartment, MHC, and commercial rents. Historically, Kiln typically collects 99.6% of rents each month, and we do not anticipate a change to these collection patterns for the remainder of 2020. Kiln has been working closely with its commercial tenants under the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program, also known as CECRA, as detailed on slide 9. Kiln's contribution to date to its tenants under the CECRA program totals $200,000. As noted in the last two quarterly conference calls, Kiln has in place or is working on rent deferral arrangements for a number of our commercial and residential tenants on a case-by-case -case basis and has waived any interest charges on deferred rent. Kiln is proud to supply clean, affordable, high-quality housing to its 22,000 tenants across Canada, and our employees are proud to provide an exceptional value proposition to our tenants. When compared to the cost of owning a home in the communities and cities where Kiln invests, including the upkeep and maintenance that go with home ownership, renting is an excellent alternative. Affordable housing is a top priority in Canada, and all indications are that this will remain the case with Canada's population continuing to grow. Last week, the federal government announced an increase in immigration that will see over 1.2 million new Canadians arrive by 2024. The dual trends of population growth and increased urbanization in Canada's major markets has put pressure on housing supply and consequently increased pricing. Killam wants to be part of the solution and therefore provides very affordable living options in all its markets. Please refer to slide 10. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation's measure of housing affordability is the shelter cost to income ratio, which sets the affordability threshold at 30% of the four-tax median household income. Comparing CMHC's 30% cost to income ratio metric to Kiln's average rents in each of Kiln's core markets clearly highlights the fact Kiln's average rents are well within CMHC's threshold ranging from 15 to 25% of the pre-tax median household income. Kiln has the ability to accommodate the demand for both affordable housing and those preferring higher-end accommodations by offering a wide selection of locations, unit sizes, layouts, and amenities. Kiln's properties reflect the rich diversity and character of its urban communities. Slide 11 charts Kiln's rental rate growth from Q1 2017 to Q3 2020, 15 quarters, for almost three years. Quarterly rental rate growth is represented by the green bars and is a combination of rent increases for renewing tenants per quarter, as shown by the blue line, plus rent increases for new leasing on turns when tenants vacate, shown by the gray line. Overall, during this 15-quarter timeframe, Kiln has generated steadily increasing growth in our rental rates to 3.6% per quarter until 2020 when the pandemic started. Despite the pandemic, Kiln continues to deliver rental rate growth. 
primarily from moving rents up when a unit turns. For example, this quarter unit turns averaged 5.2% rental growth. Kiln's decision to suspend collection of rent renewal increases and to also delay issuing notice for future rent increases in the months of April through July have impacted Kiln's rental rate growth for renewals this year. For example, rental rate growth for renewals for the four quarters ending Q1 2020 averaged 2.1% per quarter, whereas rental rate growth for renewals for Q2 2020 was 0%. And for this quarter, Q3 2020, rental rate growth for renewals is only 10 basis points. Coming back to my earlier comments on affordability, we believe Chart 11 drives home the point that Killam's rents have increased responsibly. Moving to slide 12, looking ahead to Q4 2020, Killam expects rental rate growth for renewals to be in the 2.4% range, trending upward to the rental rate growth Killam generated pre-COVID-19. The blue line on this chart shows the number of renewals by month with October 2020 showing 2,000 renewals forecast, which is approximately twice the monthly average for renewals. This peak number for renewals is due, to the, is due to the delivery of renewal notices being delayed in Q2 2020, as discussed earlier. Kiln's unit turnover during the first wave of the pandemic this spring saw a decline, but now the trending is moving slightly higher. We attribute this slight increase to the pandemic's uncertain trajectory that most certainly had tenants delaying their moves for a few months. For 2020 overall, we estimate Kiln's unit turns will decrease plus or minus 20 basis points to finish the year at 28.5%. After repositioning 300 units in 2019, Kiln's 2020 program is to complete 500 units as shown on slide 13. Year to date, 426 units have been repositioned at an average cost of $26,000 per unit, earning a 12% unlevered return on investment. We have reviewed Kiln's oh, entire portfolio and forecast we can upgrade a minimum of 500 units per year to fill a portion of the demand for high-quality upgraded units in our markets. Broadly, Kiln presently has 5,000 additional units that can be repositioned, and this opportunity continues to cycle forward as the properties age. Expense management is a focus at Kiln, and we continue to benefit from our investment in energy efficiency projects. Please see, see slide 14. Kilm has invested approximately $20 million in efficiency projects over the past four years, including installing 11,500 low-flow toilets, lighting retrofits at 90 properties, and many boiler installations and thermostat upgrades, saving millions of dollars by reducing utility and heating fuel consumption. 2020 energy projects include $6 million in investments, having an average eight-year payback. New this year, are photovoltaic solar panel installations at both Quimple Court, pictured here on slide, 18, slide 14, and our newest development, Shorefront and PEI. Both these properties are now connected to the grid, producing renewable energy for our buildings. These projects are indicative of Kiln's commitment to climate change mitigation by adopting greener strategies to reduce Kiln's carbon footprint. On the topic of climate change, Kiln participated in GRED's ESG rating survey for the second year, and we look forward to sharing our progress and improvements once the final results are released later this month. I will now hand you back to Philip to provide an update on our development and acquisitions pipeline. Thank you, Robert. Slide 15 summarizes Kilm's year-to-date acquisition activity. 
On October 26, Killam purchased 171 and 181 Leopold, a new four-story, 107-unit wood frame property in Moncton, New Brunswick. Please see slide 16. The purchase price was $17.6 million and it was satisfied by placing a new first mortgage of $13.2 million in the balance in cash. Killam has also agreed to purchase Horizon Place, a new seven-story concrete building located in Moncton, New Brunswick, that is scheduled to close by the middle of November 2020. The purchase price is $55 million and it will be satisfied by placing a new first mortgage in the balance in cash. Stabilized all-cash yield is 4.5% and is currently 88% lease. With a mixture of one, two, and three bedrooms, the average unit size is 1,420 square feet with an average rental rate of $1.32 per square foot. Common areas include a well-appointed gym, large social room, and an outdoor patio. With $210 million in acquisitions year to date, 2020 is Killam's second largest acquisition year despite the challenging environment. With regards to development, construction activity progressed in our, in our six developments plus Nolan Hill development during the quarter. Slide 21 shows renderings of these projects and slide 22 shows the expected remaining time before completion and the total development cost. We expect Nolan Hill and 10 Harley developments to be completed in Q1 2021. By the end of 2022, we fully expect all of these projects to be completed, which is an additional 670 units of growth. Our shorefront development opened its doors in, on October the 1st. Please see slides 23 and 24. A 100 kilowatt solar panel array has been installed on the rooftop which is expected to produce 111 megawatt hours of energy annually. The property is currently 33% leased. Slides 25 show the Harley, which is scheduled to be completed by February of 2021. A 47 kilowatt solar panel array will be installed on the Harley, along with solar panel arrays on the other three buildings in the complex for a total installed capacity of 262 kilowatts which is expected to produce 302 megawatt, megawatts of power annually. Slide 27 shows a rendering of the Latitude, the second phase of Gloucester City Center project with RealCan. Construction finance was placed on this project during Q3 2020, and all the remaining development costs will be funded through this financing. The K in Mississauga is progressing along quickly now with renderings on slide 29 and an aerial progress shot on slide 30. Construction financing was secured in Q2 and all the remaining development costs is being funded through this facility with an anticipated completion in early 2022. LUMA on slide 31 is, 100, is the 168 unit development that we are developing with RealCan. This apartment building is adjacent to the grocery anchored Allenville Shopping Center in Ottawa. We broke ground on our 169 unit development known as Civic 66 in Kitchener at the beginning of July. With ex exterior and interior rendering shown on slides 32 and 33, we expect it will take 24 months to build with a completion target for Q3 2022. 
This project will have geothermal heating and cooling. For reference, slides 34, slide 34 breaks out Killam's future development opportunities. We're in the final design and approval phase for a 12-unit luxury project in downtown Halifax called The Governor and expect to start before the end of the year. Over 70% of our development land is outside Atlantic Canada. Although 2020 has been a challenging year to date, we remain positive for the future. We have a great team at Kilm, and we continue to keep our employees and residents' safety as one of our top priorities. We take great pride in our great operating platform and high-quality assets, and we are confident that we will continue to create value for our unit holders. Thank you. I will now open up the call for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And if you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. And your first question comes from Mark Rothschild at Canaccord. Please go ahead. Thanks, and good morning, everyone. Um, for, first question, maybe it's for Rob, just following up on your, on your comments and on, on rents. Um, you, you guys did note that you delayed rent increases and it's, it's, you're restarting them in Q4. Um, as, as we look into next year, same property in a while, and I know you're not going to give us guidance necessarily, but there's a, a whole bunch of moving parts. Obviously, there's rent freezes in Ontario and there is rent control in certain markets. Uh, but as you're restarting rent increases, are you able to uh, possibly push a little bit more because you pause them for a period of time or does it just not work that way? And just trying to balance all these moving parts as we uh, think about next year. So the question is, can we catch up on any revenue we might we, we may not have earned? Um, interesting question. I would say to you, that's probably quite linked to COVID. I mean, in the marketplace, if, if it stays as uncertain as it is right now, it'll be difficult to do that. But if we can find ourselves um, with things coming together with either uh, the ability to diagnose or to treat, I think that things would you can move the market a little more. So for the most part, I think it'll just be, um, it wouldn't be any more than we charged before at this time, right? So not a big push to collect what may have not been collected will remain in this range currently. Okay, great. Just then. to clarify, Mark, too, that most of the ones where we delayed the increases, except for Nova Scotia, we were able to put those through. There's just a timing difference. Okay, great. Thanks. And then... In regards to the acquisition in Moncton, obviously it's a new property, a relatively low cap rate. You're using quite a bit of a higher cap rate for IFRS. Um, how should we think about that acquisition in the context of where market cap rates might be in Moncton or other um, smaller markets, meaning not Halifax in Atlantic Canada? And then with that cap rate of 4.5, is that on a stabilized income? Because I understand you bought it with some vacancy. That is correct, a stabilized income. And I think the way to look at that, um, there is pressure on cap rates in all our markets. I mean, you mentioned smaller markets, it's true. But the, um, the sort of the counterbalance to that is that this would be probably the premier um, asset in New Brunswick. This, this asset is outstanding. So from a long-term point of view, um, with all the features, the size of it, the um, the rent per square foot, 
Um, we're very happy to own this. Hello, Mark? Yes, thank you. Oh, sorry. Thank you. The next question comes from Jonathan Kelcher at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, just, good morning. just going back to just going back to, to revenue. So, um, if we if we look forward to 2021 on on renewals, uh, and I guess with the freeze in Ontario, and, and potentially BC, do you, do you think you'll be able to average two percent on on renewals in 2021, or somewhere in and around there? We think so. We think we can be in that range. Okay. And then on turnover, um, last couple of years you've been in sort of the five six percent range. Is is that something you think you can continue to do going forward? Yes. Okay. That is uh, that is good. And then um, I guess switching gears on on acquisitions, um, what what are you guys seeing on on pricing right now? Um, I think the, the simplest answer is, is that there's huge pressure on cap rates um, with the assets in Ontario and um, BC. Um, they're a little bit better in Alberta, but obviously the you know the market's a little bit softer. And um, you know what the the product that's available in Atlantic Canada, they're stable to again a little bit of pressure on the downward side. Okay, that is helpful. And then just last question on, on Nolan Hill. Um, I think you're you're scheduled to close that in Q1. Would that be like a March close? Um, well, it depends on if they finish up um, the construction. It's going um, along very nicely. It's very fast. But uh, we uh, kind of think it might be February right now. Okay. And then what it what it's in terms of like that's that'll be. An empty empty property when you get it. Um, what are you what are you budgeting in terms of lease up time for that? Well, we're actually doing pre-leasing now, so um, basically, um, you know, there's good even the first couple of weeks, and we'll gear up and be heavily involved in the pre-leasing through um, the rest of November, December, and January. So, and you know what? I mean, we'll know we'll have a really a good handle on that um, at the end of um, you know the, the fourth quarter early February, um, but we're not too concerned about it. Okay, uh, that's it for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Howard Lung at Veritas. Please go ahead. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I just wanted to start with the, um, the same property expense tick up, you know, we're seeing in I guess a few areas in Ontario and also in in, um, in Alberta. Like, could you just maybe uh, have some color on there? Is it related to this property taxes that you talked about earlier? That certainly is contributing. Yeah, property taxes. Um, you would have seen that highlighted with up about 5.1 percent um, in the quarter. Uh, we're definitely feeling the cost of increased insurance premiums across. Um, the real estate industry and other industries as well. Um, there's definitely pressure on insurance costs and our renewal um, would have happened for on July 1st. So this was the first quarter we saw that uptick. Um, additional salary costs, we have provided more compensation to our frontline staff 
um, and we would have seen that impact. Um, those were probably the ones that really stood out um, in the quarter. We did have some uh, some savings in some other areas as well, but th those ones were were fairly high increases year over, quarter over quarter. Right, and and do you expect, um, I guess, that uh, those expenses in particularly in Ontario and Alberta to continue to um, outpace ones in the Maritimes? I think that, um, you know, when we talk insurance costs, that one's, I don't think it's one region more than the other. Um, property tax, it is, it is a little more region specific and we would have seen some more pressure in some markets uh, more than others. Um, so I'd say um, yes for property taxes. Uh, some of the others are a little bit more evenly distributed throughout the, um, the portfolio. Okay, no, that makes sense. And then just a question on your um, the uh, ROI table on, on investments or, or uh, unit repositions. I just saw that it, it looked like it slipped slightly from I think 13% year-to-date uh, in Q2 and now it's 12%. So it kind of implies that this quarter, I think it's like a 10%. Um, which particular province would you attribute a slightly lower returns to? And is that related to the pandemic or is it just um, a function of that particular province? I think it's a function of uh, more on the increased cost side, not so much our ability to get the increased rent, but we're seeing now it's looking like $26,500. So okay. um, that's, that's and I think that part of that costing is attributed to COVID because there's been a premium on some materials, lumber in particular. Right, right, makes sense. So, I, so I guess maybe going forward, if when you're thinking about fiscal 21, would you maybe project slightly lower returns than what was what you were going in with uh, into the pandemic? You know, it's 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 pretty fine tuning, right? Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's impossible to say definitively. I would say that I think um, the prices are, and I know lumber is coming down right now, so I, I think they'll stabilize on that side. So I would say right. we can 12 to 13% yeah, certainly achievable. I mean, another okay. part of this is right now there's a shortage of um, appliances we find depending on the market you're in. So from a premium pricing just to get the appliances on their suite renovations, that will get corrected once COVID gets over. So there's, you know, there's there's different price points that add to the cost. Right, right. Thanks. Yeah, that no, that makes sense. We we've, we've seen um, construction prices and appliance prices go up. Um, I also wanted to ask about the uh, same property um, incentive offerings uh, that that you showed in the presentation. Uh, looks pretty mild at 0.4% uh, this quarter. Is is there any um, like spillover into Q4 from these incentives, like maybe offered in September, but it'll eat into October? Um, and also, which markets are you seeing incentives um, continue um, pretty competitively in? So we would, from an accounting perspective, we would take those over 12 months. So, um, so those markets where we are offering that um, is carried over a 12-month period. Um, so overall, not a not too much change, but we are using them more in, in downtown Calgary. So the grid five asset we would have spoken of specifically. So Alberta, we have more incentives than other regions. Um, and uh, Newfoundland is another one that um, 
we're looking at incentives uh, as well. So we would have started to see that. Um, so those are the ones that would stand out in terms of our use, but we are very selective. Um, so I think that uh, the trending that we would have seen in Q3 is reasonable to expect to trend um, through Q4 and likely into next year. Thanks, yeah, that's, that's helpful. And uh, I guess that segues well into my next, uh, my last question. Um, just, um, you know, where we're seeing a, a little more pressure on Alberta markets, Calgary and Edmonton, um, and um, like Killam spoke, spoke about uh, increasing exposure to Western Canada, including Alberta. Can you can you speak on that a little, and um, maybe maybe why you still think it's attractive? Well, I think it's because these markets are very large, and we believe in them long term. Um, the probability of seeing growth, other than our Nolan Hill, um, is probably pretty low until the COVID um, sort of pandemic gets over because we're still in a bubble relative to travel. So we haven't been able to really do the amount of traveling, you know, going out looking for assets in Western Canada. Yeah. But once it's over, we'll be back out. The suburban, the suburban market's very strong. Yeah. It has, and, and we get that both in Edmonton and in Calgary. So, and you know what, it's a young, it's a young youthful population in that marketplace and you know, it's gonna be fine long-term and we're long-term business. Then you would have seen our Edmonton numbers. I mean, uh, same property. Those are some assets that we saw um, fantastic top-line growth and NOI growth in the quarter. Um, it is, as Robert mentioned, like suburban, and um, the demand is, is is fairly strong for units in those suburban markets. No, no that's great. Uh, that that where we are seeing that difference. So thanks, thanks for the color. Um, I'll pass the line. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Lian Chen at IA Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Uh, just a quick couple of questions for me. Um, you've spoken about it in, I guess, in the previous uh, questions, but maybe more uh, longer term. I was just wondering if you could talk about what your expect expectations are in terms of uh, same-store NOI for the next couple of quarters and what you're seeing so far in terms of current trends. You know, it's... Uh... I think that longer term, it is back to Robert's comments about how long, you know, what's going to happen with <laughs> with COVID-19, but uh, I think that um, we do expect to go back more to a, in line with what, you know, more normalized of the kind of two to four range we've talked about before looking forward, but there's still a lot of uncertainty in the market with uh, with what's going to happen with, um, with the virus, but um, we think that 2000 and will prove to be on the low side um, when we look, you know, over kind of a 10-year trend. Great, thank you. And um, in terms of rental growth rate, uh, you touched upon it, and I guess it was the very first question when it comes to, you know, a lot of moving parts. Um, so what would be your perspective specifically in the context of decreasing occupancy? And, if, and again, if you provide some color as to what you're seeing so far in the quarter. Decreasing, sorry, could you just repeat the question, please? Yeah, so what would be your, um, uh, like re regarding to rental growth rate, more specifically regarding to, in a, in a, in a context of a decreasing occupancy, um, what, what would that look like and what you're seeing so far in, in, in the quarter or in terms of uh, some of the current trends? 
So I think uh, if I understand what you're asking, I think that we are, you know, that is a balance between rental increases and occupancy levels. And uh, we look at closely region by region and even asset by asset. And uh, it, we're looking to at that net result, which is revenue growth. So in areas that we see um, a lot of increased, um, you know, upticks in vacancy in St. John's is a prime example, then we'll look at those rental rates and decide. But there's other markets that, um, you know, we are, uh, reminder, we are coming off record high occupancy too. So still at, you know, 97, 96.5 occupancy, those levels are still um, looking quite healthy. So um, it is a balance and we'll we'll look at the the data analytics that we have, the amount of demand that we're seeing and, um, yeah. and yeah, but, adjust accordingly. But again, just as a reminder, we're in this situation and currently there are decreased levels of of new immigration, um, there is a sort of a lot of restrictions on um, international students coming back into the country to go to university. So do we believe this is going to be around forever? No. But again, to recognize the fact that, you know, these are all the byproducts of the shutdown through the sec first and second quarters of this year. And who knows as we come back and there's actually a second larger wave that's happening that requires shutdowns and depending on the province. So, I mean, from an operator, we look at it as we'll get over this. Um, they hopefully there will be a vaccine sometime maybe in 2021. I mean, the big part of it is is that um, our downtown course have to reopen in terms of the worker and the workforce that goes and go back and forth into those um, those areas. So all that plays into uh, the demand for housing, especially on the rental side. And we don't think this is a long-term structural increase in vacancy. <clears throat> I would highlight that on the vacancy side, approximately one-third of our portfolio at any time is 100% occupied. And so we're able to move rents despite the other buildings might may be suffering some vacancy. So there, there is the opportunity. We should see some growth that way. And Philip touched on international students, and we know the province has stated that you know, starting in the new year, in the new year uh, we will be permitting international students to return. And Halifax has over 30,000 students, university students here. So that'll be, you know, it'd be nice to get that portion of the market back too. So I think generally speaking, uh, there is an opportunity for growth. Any vacancy we're experiencing is actually somewhat minor, and it's not definitely a structural change. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you. The next question comes from Matt Kornack at National Bank. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys. Um, other than students, are you seeing any other demographic trends? I mean, some were saying, and maybe it's an Ontario-centric issue, but there's some cases of young professionals moving back in with their parents. I guess you guys don't have the COVID levels and uh, less of a downtown exposure, but are you seeing any other demographics other than students that have been under pressure? I thought you were going to say some people in the Ontario market are moving back to Nova Scotia, <laughs> which, is, which is something we are seeing. Yeah. And so there, there is a bit of that going on, um, and it's, it's interesting. And I think it, the best way to see that, to, to look at that is 70% um, of sales, and I think there was 5,000 uh, home sales, 70% um, were sold above asking price in our market. And uh, so that, there's a tremendous demand, and we know when we speak to uh, our people in, in PEI, they're seeing the same thing. 
Um, so there's been some benefit to the outlying provinces from the bigger centres um, because of COVID and, and people choosing this as a good time to perhaps um, go to a smaller market. So that's been one of the one of the good things. If anything can be good with COVID. Yes. But I think, Matt, your question, I mean, it makes sense that it's actually occurring if you have um, young uh, workers in the workforce that now are basically working out of their apartment in the large urban centers, and um, especially if some of these units are quite small, and maybe they're already, you know, have a, have a roommate and they're sharing it. So, you know, there is going to be a movement in that part of the market for sure. Sure, no, that, that makes sense. Uh, on the expense side of things, uh, looking at maybe 2021, uh, I mean, do you expect that your margins will continue to sort of flatline, or, or, or is there still the potential for margin expansion? Obviously, it depends on rent growth to some extent, but but what what would be a normal sort of expense growth rate at this point for, for OPEX and uh, taxes, et cetera? I think somewhere between three and five. I think it's that uh, property tax is always the big question every year. Um, but we, you know, we also have some efficiencies we continue to roll out that's going to help. So I think that um, that's probably a reasonable range to assume. Okay. And then um, with regards to um, what was I going to say? <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long week. Um, Oh, with the regards to your renovation programs, I mean, I was surprised that uh, for Q3 2020 versus Q3 19, uh, you're getting the same rent spread on renovations and on turnover. Um, so clearly your market has held in pretty well if those are indicators of market performance. Uh, but is there still the same amount of demand, notwithstanding the issues you said uh, on cost and maybe delays in getting uh, uh, some of the renovation materials, but still the same demand for these renovated units? The demand remains very strong. So you'd foresee continuing to, to move ahead with that program as you were prior to COVID? And so um, this year we would do 500 units um, we'll renovate, and next year we're looking at a similar number, and uh, and that can meet the market demand, we think. Uh, if we could do more, we might, but right now we're just working on that. Okay, great. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. The next question comes from Mike Marquitas at Desjardins. Please go ahead. Good morning, everybody. I um, appreciate your, your comments on no long-term uh, or no structural change to your vacancy. Just, and obviously the future will depend on, you know, if we have a second wave and so on and so forth. But if we just assume the status quo for the next quarter or two, do you guys anticipate that um, your vacancy levels have stabilized here or should we expect that they'll continue to leak lower a little bit in the short term? Well, again, the way we look at this, and it's a good question, is that our increase in vacancy can basically, it's concentrated in about 10 buildings. So for every market, it's not that the overall vacancy has gone up across the board per market. And so when we look at it, and this has always been the way that when you look at increase in vacancy, um, you look at it and say, okay, it, was this a student-focused building and the international students didn't, couldn't get into the country in, in say, Metro Halifax? Or is it another issue over in Newfoundland where the um, the, um, the immigration 
um, numbers are down, and that was attracting uh, new Canadians. Um, so, and then the other one would be downtown Calgary and all the sort of the um, the negative news that's in that marketplace in terms of job loss. Um, so we look at it and say, okay, the majority of the decrease is concentrated in a very small number of properties. And then from that point of view, we can sit there and say, how are we going to stop that? And what sort of leasing strategy are we going to put in place to sort of bring it back? Okay. Um, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, on the acquisition front, I know you guys sort of, at least while well, the travel bubble uh, still in place, not able to execute outside of uh, Atlantic Canada. But I'm just curious if you can comment on if you've seen an, uh, an increase in the um, number of offerings and acquisition opportunities uh, across Canada over the last several months. Well, you, the answer is yes, because there was very little through uh, February, March, and April and into May. So, you know, everybody got back working. I mean, there was a lot of the brokers had product that they were negotiating with the potential seller. And um, yes, there was a lot of product that has come across our desk in the last two to three months. Okay. Um, last one for me is just, uh, and I don't know if this is coincidence or not, people seem to uh, provide me with news feed based on what I searched, but just noticed a couple of articles in Halifax recently about um, uh, you know, some some advocates for rent control. I was just curious if you had any comments on that, whether the social uh, call for that has gotten stronger versus history lately, or is it something that's just coincidence from my end? I think the big question is around affordability, and, and then it becomes some discussion on rent control. But mostly, it's making you know, units affordable, uh, that portion of the marketplace. And when we look at the numbers in this market, and using CMHC as their ratio of um, before-tax income, 30% being the measure. And when we look at that, um, and it's been done, I think one of the analysts did it as well, but across the board, certainly our portfolio would meet that test of affordability. Um, but there's no denying there's been a, a number of cases that come up. And, I, and I, the question I have for the market, and I haven't had it answered yet, is you know, how, many, how many are there? They would be, some, in some cases, it's an older person, and you know, there is an issue with that person, but I don't think the numbers are as big as they're, they're being made out to be. So we're working with um, an association here that speaks for the rental market to do uh, an, ec an economic study that's being prepared by a third party uh, to address this concern and then use that to speak to any of the policymakers. So we can bring the the fact of the the fact of the case to bear. And the main thing is this: we all know in our business that rent control is not beneficial, helping to increase supply. And we know the best way to deal with affordability is increased supply. So we and that point can be made and it's empirically uh, supported. So that's what we'll do next. Okay. And is the is the political just not being as familiar as the political um, backdrop right now such that their proponents for a free market system, or, or is there, are they showing any sort of, um, I don't want to say vulnerability, but just um, appetite to consider alternative structures? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and we would talk more about supplemental and in terms of a way, a way to address those that can't afford it. The other thing about rent control, just to 
it's what it does is it subsidizes the rent for everyone when really it should be more directed towards the afford those that need affordable housing. So, and, and I think you know, the people that we're speaking to in government certainly understand that reality and that, that's part of the discussion. Thank you, I appreciate the uh, comments. Thank you. The next question comes from Dean Wilkinson at CIBC. Please go ahead. Thanks. Morning, everyone. Hey, Dean. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I got to, just wanted to confirm it. On the property tax increase, was that changing the mill rate, or was that an increase in the in the value of the underlying assets? It would depend on the municipality. I mean, we're you know we'd be in seventy different municipalities, and it's and some of it is done by provincial. And then, depending on the municipality, it's a combination of, of one, or the, one or the other, or both. Or both. Okay. Um, and, and and of the three and a half billion of of investment properties, how much got reassessed? Oh God. I mean, every province is different. I mean, Ontario's on a three-year cycle. PEI's on a similar one. Um, we'd have to go back and look. Nova Scotia every year. They, every year. They give you a new base. Every base, year. Base. Yeah. Do you, have a, do you have a sense of how, how the, the magnitude of, of what those those um, valuation reassessments would have been on average? No. Okay, fair enough. That's a pretty detailed question. Um, I will I will leave it there and and hopefully that ends the call. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. The next question comes from Mario Sarek at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you, and good morning. And uh, sorry to disappoint uh, uh, D with, with, uh, with an additional question here. <clears throat> uh, just two really quick ones on my end, uh, just really focusing on affordability. Again, I thought your uh, your table on page 10 was interesting. Um, just want to confirm, you know, these are, these are broader market median household incomes. You know, when you look at your portfolio, is there any reason to think uh, in any of the markets that your specific household income wouldn't be at or above the CMAC average? And I'm just thinking about perhaps uh, a higher concentration to students in some markets versus others. I don't know whether that exists or not. So just curious to hear your thoughts on that. In the absence of more data, I think that that's, that's the proxy we have to go with. You know, on students, the interesting thing about it's not really their income, it's their parents. And most students that show up in our markets uh, would have good support from their, their yeah. families. And again, a lot of those units, there's two students. And again, the the stats that we're quoting are household. And a lot of times it's it's one person working. But we do have additional breakdown, and we've been, you know, as we spend time thinking about this, like what percentage of our rents are below, you know, $900 or whatever number that may be, when you think of what those, understanding the different, that medium income might not represent a lot of people, and we do have, you know, overall our port, you know, um, in Halifax, for example, I think um, almost 30% of our units are under, for, um, I guess that's two-bedroom units, but under that 900 dollar rent which would be uh you know very affordable rent so it kind of varies by market but we look at it a lot of different ways well it's hard to get the income information so, so Mary, this is some math i think that maybe helps so the average um hourly rate in halifax is 12.50 an hour that's the minimum wage and 
people work 2,080 hours, 40-hour weeks, 52 weeks, and that's $26,000 a year. And using CMHC's 30% calculation, that gives you on an annual basis, uh, sorry, on a monthly basis, $650 that you could contribute towards rent. And as Phil noted, uh, a lot of people would co-share, so that two-bedroom unit, they would take that together. That'd give you $1,300 a month. So when you do the math on it, really, there's a lot of units in the market that are $1,300 or less. Um, the people that mostly are affected by, you know, when the affordable question comes up, are people who want to live alone on their own and often a single parent with children. So those are the two that, that you need to address, which is a segment of the market, no denying, but that's a segment that can be addressed, and that's how it should be addressed, would be our thinking. Great. No, no, I understand. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense of whether, like, uh, in Halifax, for example, at 20.3%, whether, whether you think that, uh, again, you don't have necessarily – you don't have the data, but whether Killam's uh, percentage would be notably lower than 20.3%, maybe a bit higher, uh, specific to your portfolio, but I appreciate that the data isn't necessarily available. Yeah. Um, okay, and then just maybe a, a secondary question uh, with respect to uh, supply, and I guess supply appetite or new supply appetite uh, as a result of the pandemic or, or COVID, have you seen any change on the ground uh, in terms of kind of intention to build uh, because of the pandemic well, I mean, or do you, do you, yeah. do you think you'll what see I, historical new supply growth rates in Halifax over the next three, four years? I'll give you a, a, a broader answer to that question. What I see right across the country, um, the supply side slowing down because it is becoming more and more difficult to get permits to actually build product. And um, there's like, there is basically a growing sort of anti-development along with the affordability that people are really not that happy. And I, what you're going to see is, is that it's taken longer to get a permit to actually build something. And we, we see that in, in a lot of different cities that we're looking at trying to get final permits. Um, so I think you'll see supply really start to slow down in the next 12 to 24 months. Okay. And then just maybe a, a related question on your supply. I think you know, you've established yourself as, a, as one of the leaders in terms of ESG in the public markets. Uh, on the private side, your competitors, uh, do they focus as much on green uh, when they're building new product, or would you say that uh, your focus is quite differentiated? I think our focus is quite different. I mean, we're, you know, the there's a, there's a big section of the new product that is being built by merchant builders, um, and they are basically they would not put a lot of these features into the buildings. Um, you know, the, the established private um, landlords that are building their own product probably would look at it because it all is adds to the efficiency and the overall margins of new product. But we definitely, it's a big belief inside Killam that this is the way to go long term. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And the last question comes from Yash Sankpal at Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Yash. 
I'm just trying to reconcile a few contradictory factors, uh, and maybe you can help me. So we know that there is a lack of demand from new immigrants and students. We know that young professionals are, you know, opting to move out and go to suburban locations. But on the other hand, your same property occupancy declines by only 20 beats sequentially. And uh, the demand for your uh, uh, repositioned or uh, renovated suites is quite strong. So it, it looks like or it seems like we are missing some undercurrents. You, you are. It's the Atlantic bubble is part of it. <laughs> no, no, and I think that is part of it. I think that in other bigger centers, with the, uh, the rapid increase in the number of positive cases, it's affecting people dramatically, and we're not seeing that in our marketplace. We've been fortunate uh, these last number of months, and their numbers are relatively low, and I think it's, it, it supports a more stable occupancy, and, uh, and that's, that's, I think, how it's going. You know, in the absence of the new, the new, you know, new Canadians coming, um, you know, some students not arriving, the market has maintained its status quo, and that's that's been the fortunate part of it for us in Atlantic Canada. So your geographic concentration is helping you here. It is helping us here. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. There is one more question from Brad Sturgis at Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi there. Maybe just to wrap up the discussion here on, on demand drivers, and, and I'm just curious if COVID's had an impact on uh, the move out of out of single family and downsizing into the multifamily. Is, is that kind of been impacted at all by COVID? Yeah. The biggest the biggest driver for that move out is is somebody to buy. The, uh, the new houses. And so what we are seeing is um, single home sales have increased a fair bit. So I, you're probably on to something there. I think that is one of the, one of the contributors that has made it possible to, uh, to, for everything to remain status quo. But that's, that's probably true. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions. You may proceed. Um, that concludes the third quarter conference call for Kiln Apartment Rate, and we thank everybody for participating today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.